0: God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. If you come to one of our weekly Wednesday Eucharists here at Holy Communion, you might see one of my favorite communion sets. Now, the plate and cup, or chalice and paten, as we call them, are very simple pottery, and they're too small to use on a Sunday here. I brought them back from El Salvador after watching artists shape them on a potter's wheel. And the artists worked in a cooperative shop in San Salvador, the capital. And the shop was called Chicali. And Chicali was founded in the late 1970s by a group of disabled artists. Together they decided to create a shop and a school for other disabled folks to learn a craft. And the morning that I visited, I watched a blind artist reach into a bin to find a lump of clay. He then felt his way to the wheel, all the while holding the hand of a young blind boy. He was teaching the boy pottery. And the boy smiled as he felt the wet clay slip through his fingers. The experienced artist helped him mold the clay, shaping it into the communion cup. And since I was spending a little over a week in town with a church group I was leading, I asked the woman minding the storefront if I could come back later and pick up the chalice after it had been fired and glazed. And she agreed, perhaps noting that any time they had a church group visiting, she might want to have an artist shaping churchwares. Good <laughs> marketing. Just like clay and a potter's hand. So are you in my hand, says the Lord. And there's no di- denying that Jeremiah's reading takes a bit of a dark turn after this. And there's a reason why we call a long lamenting tirade a jeremiah The prophet was famous for this sort of lament. And the prophet's trying to get the people's attention, calling out the injustice perpetuated by the society. And the prophet's call is important, But don't miss the image Jeremiah gives us for God. As a potter shapes the clay, so God shapes us. Don't let the power God has to shape our identity get lost in the rest of a difficult text. And there's difficulty in the gospel this morning as well. I'm not sure if the committee that picks the readings for Sunday morning does this on purpose, but this lesson you can't follow me unless you hate your family, seems to come up a great deal on holiday weekends. (laughs) You know, when your family might just be in town, having a little time together on vacation. Maybe you even bring them to church to hear, hate your brother and sister, mother and father. There's difficulty in this reason. Uh, Jesus wants us to leave everyone and everything we know behind, Groucho Marx once famously said that he wouldn't want to be a part of any club that would have him as a member. (laughs) The joke plays on a strange desire we have as a people to be part of something exclusive. When I lived in Alexandria, Virginia, during seminary, there was a bar that was so exclusive they didn't even have a sign outside the door. There was just a blue light bulb, and you needed to know a password for the night to get in. I'll admit it was a bit of a thrill to be admitted upstairs, that is, until I saw the price of a single cocktail. (laughs) Exclusivity, it turns out, comes at a cost in consumer society. and That's not what Jesus is looking for here. If you can't see from looking around you, Holy Communion isn't exactly an exclusive club. We're not a community that thinks you have to act or look a certain way to be part of Jesus' band. All are welcome. Wherever you are on the journey of faith, whoever you are, all are welcome. And Jesus' words are difficult this morning, partly because he reminds us that while all are welcome, not less than all of you is required. Following Jesus means putting your whole self on the line, your whole self. Jesus doesn't just want your Sunday self. Jesus doesn't just want the best parts of you. All people are welcome in Jesus' band, and all of you will be required. And the difficulty in the gospel text isn't just about family and exclusivity. That final line of the gospel this morning, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all of your possessions, it's tough. Luckily, this morning, it's also badly translated. We're not off the hook exactly about possessions. There'll be other sermons about those. And Jesus asked the rich young ruler, after all, to sell all he had and give it to the poor, which may be why the translators chose to use possessions. But this text that we have from Luke isn't well rendered in the New Revised Standard Version. The word possessions doesn't appear in the Greek. What Jesus really says follows on his first statement, I think. If I might be so bold, I want to offer you my own translation. It would be this. None of you can become my disciple if you do not give over all that you are. None of you can become my disciple if you do not give over all that you are. What does it mean to give all that you are? I think the teaching here is about identity. To follow Jesus, we need to know what we're in for. To follow Jesus is to be lost to the world. It is to give ourselves away. The Jesuits have a good way of describing what Jesus is talking about. The Jesuit Volunteer Corps is the Catholic forerunner of our Episcopal program, Deaconess Ann House, in North St. Louis. And several young adults just moved together into this church owned house in the north side. They'll be there for the year. This is the fourth class that's done it. They're volunteering in nonprofits and churches around the city, and they'll spend a great deal of time together in prayer and discernment. And we got this program from the Jesuits, and the motto of the Jesuit Volunteer Corps is this Be ruined for life. <laughs> be ruined for life. Spending a year of your life in service to others, spending a year praying and discerning and reading the Bible, they reason, will ruin you. It will ruin you for living just to make a profit. It will ruin your ability to bring a lawsuit against a neighbor for encroaching on your lawn. You'll be ruined for life in a world focused on the bottom line and on individual rights over the common good. So they tell young adults, much like Jesus tells his followers, count the cost. Brooklyn Payne, one of our young adult members here at Holy Communion, just landed this week in Panama. The support of this congregation was generous. She's spending a year with the Episcopal Church's International Service Corps. When she gets back a year from now, we're going to have to ask her if she's ruined. This is the tension that Jesus is really naming this morning. His word choice is odd. Hate your brothers and sisters, hate life itself. It's a strange way to name the tension, but I believe that that's what Jesus is doing. He's naming the tension of identity. There are multiple claims on our identity. We all exercise different layers of identity. We are mothers, sisters, brothers, and fathers. We are workers, and some of us are bosses. We're citizens, and hopefully we're also voters. We're volunteers and churchgoers. We are consumers, and millions of dollars a year goes into defining that identity for us. There are so many layers of our identity. But there is only one identity, only one, that merits a total claim on us. Think about it. No child really wants the totality of their parent's identity. It may seem like it when they're toddlers, but by the time children become teenagers, they want less and less from their folks. No sister wants all of who you are. No good boss wants their employees to bring their full self to work. Good employers want their workers to have a healthy life outside the office. The only identity that merits all of us is our identity before God. One of the funny things about life is that the more that we let other people define us, the more we let other people's constructions of who we are define our identity, the smaller we tend to become. With God, the reverse is true. When we allow God to shape our identity, we have a tendency to expand our horizons. Just listen to the psalm this morning. For you yourself created my inmost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will thank you because I am marvelously made. Your works are wonderful, and I know it well. How many of us could use repeating those words when we look in the mirror in the morning. I will thank you because I am marvelously made. How many of us could root our identity more deeply in the God who created us? I like to call Psalm 139 the runaway bunny psalm, from the children's story about the little bunny who tells his mother he will run away and his mother assures him that if he runs away, she will follow. The principle in the psalm is the same. God pursues us. God is present to us. God is always with us. God knows us better than our family, better than our lovers, better than we know ourselves. We belong to God. Jesus' difficult words this morning are not about creating an exclusive club. In America, it often seems the opposite. Christianity often seems to be defined by its exclusivity. In his latest book, The Great Spiritual Migration, the recovering evangelical Brian McLaren asks, what would it mean for Christians to rediscover their faith? Not as a problematic system of beliefs, but as a just and generous way of life, rooted in contemplation and expressed in compassion. He goes on Could Christians migrate from defining their faith as a system of belief to expressing it as a loving way of life? I'm not convinced that Jesus would recognize a great deal of American Christianity. Jesus would probably shake his head at our religious institutions the way he's shook his head at the institutions and officials of his own day. When people here tell me that they have difficulty with this teaching or that teaching, when folks say to me, I have issues with the creed, the one we're about to say, I often smile. Following Jesus means putting all of who you are on the line. For the sake of God's loving welcome for all people, any system of belief that has been used to exclude can give rise to doubts when we conceive of Christianity as a just and generous way of life. When I serve communion using that chalice I brought back from the potter's shop, I think about the teaching that was going on in that studio in El Salvador. Down there, the Americans with Disabilities Act doesn't apply. There are few wheelchair ramps in the country, and even fewer accommodations for people with visual impairments. The older artist didn't spend time lecturing the boy about the proper technique of forming clay. He guided the little fingers as it slipped through his hands. And you could see the adventure and the promise ahead in the boy's smile. A child who had few prospects suddenly had found a path, a potential way through life, a calling that could help him be useful, even to make art. The teacher didn't tell him with words. He helped him discover that way in his own hands. I think often where the world sees a social problem, God sees a beautiful work of creation. All of us belong to God, and all of who we are is shaped by God. Christianity isn't just concerned with the ideas in your head or the club you belong to. Following Jesus, it turns out, leads us on a journey, a journey that demands our full participation. If we are present, if we are present, we can discover more deeply how to love, how to live justly. We can even discover who we are made to be. Amen.